Okay, today our chapter is James chapter 2. Uh, this is a very straightforward, hard-hitting chapter for Christians, and uh, it's one that's theologically rich. Um, the latter verses of the chapter especially have proven to be somewhat perplexing to some, uh, even controversial, as they on the surface appear to go directly against statements that the Apostle Paul has made elsewhere in the New Testament that we've already looked at in this podcast series. So uh, there, there, while there are several things that we could uh, talk about from this chapter, I want to focus on the main theological question posed here. And I'll go ahead and admit up front, this podcast might be a little longer than most, but um, I believe it's well worth the investment to think through um, these issues thoroughly and carefully. So hang in there with me and let's let's dig in. So here's the, here's the central question. Uh, are we justified by faith or works? And does James contradict Paul? Are we justified by faith or, or by works? And does James contradict Paul? In verses 14 through 20 of this chapter, James talks about an, an idea that is really pretty frightening. In those verses, James is actually saying that there is a kind of faith in God, a kind of faith in Christ, a kind of belief in the truths of Scripture that does not save a person from hell. James said in numerous different ways in verses 14 to 20 that it is possible to claim faith in Christ, even to profess that Jesus is the only Savior from sin and never actually be saved from your sins or have the promise of eternal life. James says that there is such a thing as, to use his phrase, dead faith. And that's, that's, that's a truly frightening thing. Further, James is not, only, uh, not the only one to make this claim. Without question, it is the testimony of the rest of the Bible. For example, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord makes this accusation against Israel. He says, this people draws near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And for that reason, they would face his judgment. You come to the New Testament and Jesus himself says in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We saw just recently from Paul in Titus 1, 16, he talks about those who profess to know God but deny him by their works. And John will say in 1 John 2, 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. All of those examples from Old and New Testaments are what James would call here dead faith. And James, without being unclear in any respect, says that, says that faith cannot and will not save a person. You see, it says that in, in verse 14 and verses 16 and 20. In the, in the last chapter, chapter 1, we saw James say that that kind of faith actually deceives us. You might re-listen to that if you missed that one. And uh, that, that's what's so frightening about what James calls dead faith. It, it actually deceives a person into thinking uh, that he's saved, that he has peace with God. He truly believes that he stands before God uh, and, and will hear well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In reality, Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty three, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness. And then James, beginning in verse 21, uh, talks about how a sinner is justified, that is, declared not guilty before God. With all the emphasis 
that he's been placing on producing good works in our lives and how genuine faith will always produce good works. It's not just something you say with your mouth, but it, it shows up in your life. Then on the basis of that, he makes some astonishing statements, such as verse 24, where he says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. <laughs> now, some read that and see a flat-out contradiction with Paul's teaching of justification by faith alone. I mean, uh, even Martin Luther had quibbles with this, and, and on this, on, on, because of statements like this, at times called James a right strawy epistle. Um, so, but but we need to ask the question, does James contradict Paul when he says that we're justified by works and not by faith alone? Because let's admit, at first glance, it seems like it does contradict. I mean, but here's, here, here we go. We can't isolate this question from what James has said before. His, his clear point throughout the letter thus far is that genuine faith is demonstrable. In chapter 1, genuine faith counts it all joy in the midst of trials. Uh, knowing that God is sovereign over all things and has a good purpose that he will work in you through them. Genuine faith is quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry from chapter 1 verse 19. It puts away all filthiness and rampant wickedness in verse 21 of chapter 1. It's a doer of the word and not merely a hearer. It shows compassion for the needy. And, you know, that, that's all in chapter 1. In chapter 2, James says that genuine faith refuses to show partiality. That's the first 13 verses of this chapter. In some, genuine faith is demonstrable. It, it demonstrates itself. By contrast, dead faith is not demonstrable. It produces no change in a person's life, and it cannot save. And so in verse 20, James elaborates on that point and asks the question, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? In order to answer that question, James goes to two different examples in the Old Testament to illustrate that genuine saving faith is more than an empty confession but rather is evidence in a person's actions. James first offers Abraham as the first example. Surprise, surprise, James. Uh, I mean, uh, Abraham is always uh, used as the, the, the exemplar of saving faith. In verse 21, James asks, Was Abraham, was not Abraham our father uh, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Okay, so he's drawing our attention to Genesis 22 and the story of Abraham being commanded to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Now, in order to see the significance of that story from Genesis 22, we need a little background from earlier in Genesis. And earlier in Genesis 15, in Genesis so seven chapters earlier, Genesis 15, 4 and 5, Abraham received this promise from the Lord, quote, this man shall not be your heir, that is Ishmael. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. That's the promise that God made to Abraham. And when God made that promise to Abraham, we are immediately given the response of Abraham to that promise in verse 6, where we read, and he, Abraham, believed, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, end quote. 
So right there, at that point in the story, Genesis 15, we have Abraham's profession of faith. The question James will ask is, is, is Abraham like the man in James 2.14 who says he has faith but does not have works? James's point is that Abraham's faith was not at all like that. And he presents the episode of Abraham offering Isaac in Genesis 22 as evidence because in that story we see Abraham's faith in action. He professed faith in Genesis 15 and it produced, a, it produced demonstrable evidence in Genesis 22. For example, on the way uh, to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac asked his dad Abraham, Behold the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's in verse 7. And Abraham's response in verse 8, he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What would prompt Abraham to say that? I mean, Abraham had already believed God's promise that God would make his offspring be as the stars of the heaven. Not only that, in Genesis 21, 12, God had promised that it would be through Isaac specifically that his offspring would be born. So Abraham, knowing that God could not fulfill his promise if, 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 uh, if Isaac died in this moment, for that reason, he reasoned that way, and Abraham never wavered in his faith in God's promise, even as he was being tested. Abraham reasoned that another sacrifice would be provided so that Isaac would not have to die. And the book of Hebrews gives us yet another insight into Abraham's thinking when in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham knew the promise of God, he believed the promise of God, and so he fearlessly obeyed the command of God, knowing that either God would provide another sacrifice or he would raise Isaac back from the dead. How does James interpret that event? In verse 22, James says that Abraham's faith motivated him, uh, motivated and gave rise to his action, and his action gave expression to his faith. They're not two separate things, but two sides of the same coin. In verse 23, James says that Abraham's initial profession of faith in, in uh, Genesis 15 was fulfilled in his obedience in Genesis 22. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. James illustrates from Abraham that our initial profession of faith is fulfilled in our ongoing obedience. James gives us one more example from the Old Testament uh, in the person of Rahab. And you can read her story in Joshua chapter 2. But simply put, this is another story where a person's actions were in accordance with her faith. The two Israelite spies had said to Rahab, Shelter us, protect us, and we will spare you and your family. And then what did Rahab do? She believed their promise, and accordingly she hid them from those who sought to put them to death. She sent them out another way. She acted on her belief. She risked her own life based on what she believed. In Hebrews 11.31 comments, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the guests, to the spies. She's another example in which, um, as James puts it in verse 22, faith was active along with works. 
and faith was completed, that is, given expression, by works. So we've seen that the nature of saving faith is that it is always demonstrable. Jesus said in John 15, 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He said in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Faith that saves is faith that you can see. Otherwise, it's simply an empty confession, or as James calls it, dead faith. So having thought about James's line of argument here, we need to address quickly this question as to how do we reconcile what James is saying here with statements that Paul made, especially in Romans chapter 3 and 4. Because they seem to be in direct conflict with one another. Does James contradict Paul? To see the apparent contradiction, consider these two statements. Paul says... In Romans 3.28, he says, For we know that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, that's Romans 3.28. One is justified by faith apart from works of the law. James will say in James 2.24, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. <laughs> well, Paul says in Romans 4.1-3, through 3, that Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith alone. Well, James will say in James 2.21 that Abraham was justified by works and not by faith alone. I mean, they seem to be completely at odds on the surface. But since we believe that the Scriptures are the inspired and inerrant Word of God, we believe that the Scriptures do not contradict themselves. And on top of that, I don't, feel, I don't believe that neither, I believe that neither Paul nor and James, I don't think that either one of them were were idiots, and so they, they knew what they were talking about, and they knew the scriptures. And there's a solution to the problem, even if our finite minds cannot understand it. In this case, I do believe that the problem is solved in a couple of different ways, but we'll just mention one of them, and that is, James and Paul were dealing with two different audiences, two different audiences. Paul was dealing with those who were relying on their works to earn them favor with God, that's, that's Paul's problem. People who are relying on their works to earn them favor with God. And so he emphasized that faith alone was, in what Christ has already done for us is what saves. James, on the other hand, was dealing with those who were abusing Paul's doctrine and said, well, if we're saved by faith alone, uh, faith alone then it doesn't matter how we live. And so James emphasizes that good works are the necessary expression of genuine faith. And to be absolutely clear, Paul emphasizes that very thing in other places. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul talks about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. In that verse, he assumes that there will be fruit and evidence in your life that you can examine to test the genuineness of your faith. And especially in Galatians 5, 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Okay, so there Paul says faith is what counts with God. But what kind of faith? Faith that works through love. And so from that perspective, James and Paul aren't at odds as they appear to be on the surface. On the contrary, they both would agree that while there is nothing we can do to work for our salvation, 
that Jesus Christ has already done it. It is nevertheless incumbent upon us, as Philippians 2.12 says, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As Martin Luther, even though he sometimes referred to James as a right straw epistle, he nevertheless helpfully said, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And that's some thoughts on James chapter 2.